You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. We pray this together now. If you agree in Jesus' name, we say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. And so good to see you all this morning. Glad to be with you. And just want to, one more reminder of our uh, special churchwide prayer meeting this Thursday happening right here, 7 p.m. I would love, 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 love if you would uh, choose to make that a priority in your week as we'll have many uh, guest pastors and leaders with us to encourage them and to even model for them uh, what a churchwide prayer meeting looks like. So it's really, really helpful if a bunch of our people choose to show up and to encourage. Daniel Henderson will be with us too after our day of renewals. That's this Thursday, 7 p.m. And again, hope, 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 pray to see you there. Um, Could you open your Bibles to uh, James chapter one? That would be so good, James chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you in the chair probably. If you look at the table of contents, you can find your way near the end of the Bible to the right uh, in the book of James. I'm just gonna go through uh, each verse that's in front of us. We're in the third week of our series on James. Again, the letter written by James, the half-brother of Jesus, and he's writing to an audience of um, believers that are dispersed uh, among, again, uh, the world. And so just a reminder that James is often called the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's a book of wisdom. It's a powerful and practical letter that really cuts to the chase. We love that about James and how he writes by the Holy Spirit, just gets right to the heart of the matter, and he does that again today. So James has not disappointed us in that sense so far. Uh, In week number one, like verse two, he launched us into the reality that we can find joy within trials. Now, if you remember, how is it that we can find joy within trials? Well, we learned that God allows trials into the lives of his children because with trials come testing. And when something is tested, they produce steadfastness or perseverance. And when we have steadfastness, then we're prepared for the glory that is to come. So if we want to make it, we need to be steadfast. If we want to be steadfast, we need testing. If we're going to be tested, that's the purpose of trials. So trials are essential for every person who actually belongs to Jesus Christ. Then week number two last week, we had the call for wisdom. And we heard here that true wisdom comes from God alone. Wisdom is not knowledge. Knowledge is knowing stuff. Wisdom is how to rightly apply that knowledge. And we learn this too. For those who are given the wisdom of God from his word and from God himself, they are at a massive advantage in this thing called life. Compared to the person who doesn't have the wisdom of God, and there's a huge separation and advantage of having God's wisdom to see all of life from his point of view. And that's a big part of what we do again today. That's a big part, again, of the book of James. So he goes from the reality of trials and the importance of wisdom, and then he takes us to this today. Our sermon title is this, The Spiritual Reality of the Rich and Poor. Now that should get your attention. The spiritual reality of the rich and poor because it's so relevant, again, to our day. Now, as we study the Bible, we're always trying to get the context. And it's very possible that poverty might have been one of the greatest trials facing James's readers or his audience. 
Poverty was certainly a reality for many people who'd be picking up this letter to receive encouragement. From the book of James as a whole as well, we also know there were many wealthy people that were reading this letter too. Otherwise, he would not address them the way he does, even as he does today, okay? So as we come to verses nine through 11 in James chapter one, we're seeing the reality of trials, the importance of wisdom. There's a warning against double-mindedness. Remember, double-mindedness, don't be double-minded. Like you say one thing, you are one thing, let's say Sunday, and then you're a totally different person the rest of the week. That's an inconsistency. You're double-minded. You're speaking out of both sides of your mouth. You, You change with whatever setting you're in. That's a lack of integrity. God really has nothing to do with people who are pretending or playing the game. So we're warned against that. And how do all of these now relate to the issues of poverty and wealth? They apply quite significantly, actually. And so what we're seeing is there's a, a block a kind of built being on top of one another as we come here, trials wisdom. And now, how does this apply to the rich and the poor? How do these principles and truths apply to those who are poor and rich? And James has a lot to say about that, so I'm looking forward to another great day in the book of James here. So James chapter one, let's read our passage and we'll start to jump in. Uh, James one, verse nine says this. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Very interesting. Because like a flower of the grass, he or she will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. Now, notice that imagery, and here's the point. So also will the rich man or woman fade away in the midst of their pursuits. Interesting text again today. I want to remind you, I'm just going through the Bible verse by verse. Whatever comes, we talk about. And so that's what's in front of us here today as well. So for structure and clarity of our passage today, we see two main simple yet also deep points or points with depth. Here's the first. Number one is this. The lowly are to boast in their exaltation. Right from the text. The lowly are to boast in their exaltation. That's what verse nine says. Now, just to kind of flush this out more, here are two other translations from the original on the screen for you. Uh, The new uh, NIV and the New Living Translation, verse nine, they say it this way. Sometimes seeing different translations, again, from the original, just help flush out and help us to picture what's being said. NIV says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Interesting. Uh, The New Living Translation says it this way. Believers who are poor have something to boast about for God has honored them. And again, the English Standard Version, my version says this. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. So what's happening here? Very, very interesting. What's happening here in verse nine? What's happening here? This is a very powerful gospel moment. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the reason he came and lived and died and rose from the dead. The news that we are to apply to our lives that we might be changed forever. So evidently, for James's audience, for those who are poor brothers and sisters in Christ, there was a great temptation, physically poor, just making sure we're clear there. uh, There's a great temptation for them to be discouraged 
to compare themselves with those who had more and a great temptation towards humiliation because they were physically poor. They did not have a lot of earthly means. So from a worldly and temporal perspective, those with wealth seemed to have a great advantage over those who were earthly poor or poor in earthly terms. But what James does here is he applies, listen, the spiritual, the spiritual reality of the gospel and obliterates the notion that the earthly rich have an advantage over the earthly poor. See, in the gospel, there is no advantage of what you have on earth and what you don't have on earth. Again, if you look at verse nine, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Now, why is the lowly brother to boast, to glory, to brag or rejoice in their exaltation? Here's why. Because of their spiritual reality in Jesus Christ. So James is encouraging his readers who are physically poor by reminding them of their powerful spiritual reality of belonging to Jesus Christ. See, what the Bible teaches us, when someone is genuinely saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, regardless of their economic situation, regardless of how much they have or don't have, they instantaneously, by faith in Christ, become a co-heir of Jesus Christ. Literally the person who belongs to Jesus Christ and receives forgiveness of sins, they receive the same inheritance that Jesus Christ receives from his Father in heaven. It is absolutely astounding the riches found in the gospel that lead to every spiritual blessing and everlasting life. Ephesians 1 tells us that if you are saved in Christ, you are blessed with all spiritual blessings. It goes on Ephesians 1 to say, if you are alive in Jesus Christ, that you may know the hope to which you are called and you may be able to see and understand the eternal glorious riches that are found in Jesus Christ the Lord. You see, so let the lowly brother, the poor brother or sister, boast or glory in the fact that they are co-heirs of Jesus Christ and have received an eternal inheritance of infinite value and infinite worth. So James wants his readers to also see this. He's reminding them bank accounts have very little meaning to God. And, make sure you know this, bank accounts have zero meaning in eternity. Zero. They have no value to God whatsoever in the life to come. So James is reminding the people, again, belonging to the true church by grace through faith, that the poor have no spiritual disadvantages because they are poor on earth. And he's also reminding us that the rich have no spiritual advantages because they have more money than those around them. And by the way, I mean, this is, this is such an important, powerful moment of wisdom, right? You are living right now. You are here today. Again, just, this truth here is such a moment of wisdom to believe in the gospel and understand 
If I have money, that gives me no spiritual advantage before God. If I don't have money, that gives me no spiritual disadvantage before God. It's a powerful way to live. And it's the reality of the gospel taking root within our lives. What am I actually living for? What do I actually value? Is my value system according to God's or is my value system according to the world's? And this is what James is getting at too today. So the imperative here, the command here, is for the lowly, poor believer to boast or glory in their exaltation. That's so powerful to do that, isn't it? When you can have nothing, but you can glory or boast in your position in Christ because you have been granted everlasting life. So the poor brother here, those who have nothing, They can value, they rejoice because they value what God values. They boast that they are citizens of heaven, Philippians 3. They have received citizenship of heaven for everlasting life. They live, they long for the appearing of Jesus Christ when he returns and gathers them again to his own. They glory that they are sons and daughters of the king. They rejoice and glory and boast that no one and nothing will ever be able to take them or remove them from their status of children of God and again to live with him forever. This is the power of applying the gospel to those who believe by faith. You understand the true value of now and the value of what is to come. Again, James has a lot to say about this. He's gonna come up this theme several times as we go through this book over the next couple of months. Another place, if you look at James 2, verse five, on the screen for you too, if you can't turn the page once over, but it says there, listen, he says, listen, my beloved brothers, has, listen to this, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? So again, wow, look what he's saying here. Has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith And when you're rich in faith, then you're heirs of the kingdom of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So wisdom right now says this. Wisdom, biblical wisdom says this. I would rather be poor in the world and rich in faith a billion times over than the opposite. Wisdom says in the economy of God, I would rather be Again, poor in this world and rich in faith a billion times over as opposed to being rich in this world and poor in faith. Because faith leads to everlasting life and earthly treasure will not last beyond this lifetime. So wisdom also understands this. Wisdom knows the moment Jesus Christ appears, my net worth goes to zero. Wisdom understands that. The moment Jesus Christ returns, he could care less about how much money you have here on earth. The only thing that matters is if you've believed on him by faith for the forgiveness of sins that you might receive everlasting life. So again, wisdom knows this. Loved ones, there's, there's, there's a lot of people represented here in this room right now. And wisdom knows Christ will return any moment now. Any moment he'll return. We're certain of that. And the moment he does, my net worth goes to zero. Just like that, just like that. 
all the things people have worked for, all the business, all this, all that, all that goes to zero. And the only thing that matters is my value, my treasure, my inheritance, my worth in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this is a story that's gonna be told again and again and again. It is so backwards from how our world lives. I came across a story several months ago. Pastor Jeremy Treat, he was visiting Kibera, an extremely poor area of Nairobi, Kenya. And it touched my heart so much. I saved it from my files. I'm excited to use it today. He says he visited there. He walked into this area, this extremely poor area outside of Nairobi, Kenya, and following a stream of open sewage that flowed right by shelters made of pieces of wood and dried mud. He saw many children playing in the mud right by the sewage with no clothes on. He went by a 12-year-old girl who his guide said was a prostitute. As he was starting to feel very overwhelmed, he heard the first sounds of the destination that he was headed towards. As the noise grew in volume, he recognized it as human voices. And finally, he came to the building, which was little more than a shack, but inside there was a church service. About 70 people were singing at the top of their lungs, praising God in Swahili, and their arms were raised in worship, tears flowing, smiles given, prayer, praise. He said, what could have possibly given people living in such darkness to declare such hope and even joy? He wrote, in the impoverished slum, I knew that the kingdom of God had come, not yet in the fullness of God's future promise, but it was there in the midst of the most horrific suffering and brokenness I have ever seen that I saw such hope and joy. Throughout the day, I heard stories of how these people loved and served others in their community. He concluded, what I saw in that little shack was a glimpse of the same power that will one day renew all of creation. In a word, it was hope. And it was a group of people who were boasting in their exaltation that their lives were not identified with the earthly treasures they have, but their lives were identified in their power and wealth in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Arms were raised and tears were flowing because they recognized in the world's terms they had nothing, but in God's terms they had everything. They were infinitely wealthy because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what James is going for today. Let the lowly brother boast and glory in his exaltation in his true wealth found in Jesus Christ. So as we tie the issues of James 1 together here today, notice there's a trial of hardship in the initial verses. God wants to give wisdom. And when we get the trial and the wisdom together, now we are to boast in our spiritual reality in Jesus Christ. Again, very, very important part of wisdom. See, our world has it so backwards. Our world says, live for now, get as much money as you can, build your little kingdoms here on earth, and then whatever happens in the end. Jesus Christ is the upside down kingdom. And that's why we say around here so often, if you are saved in Jesus Christ, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ and your sins are forgiven by faith in him, then today is another, another very, very good day. And why is today another very, very good day? Well, because in Jesus Christ, you are saved, you are set free. All your sins, past, present, and future, they have been covered. You have been declared innocent. You cannot lose. Jesus Christ will return. He's coming for you soon. You are a child of God. You belong again to the bread of life. You are a co-heir of Jesus Christ in the inheritance of the saints for all time. Again, you will live forever. So no matter your circumstances, no matter what happens today, no matter what goes right or goes wrong in our eyes, if that's your reality in Jesus Christ, you can declare with absolute 
absolute faith, boldness, joy, and love. Today is yet another very good day. Amen, church? That's our reality. That's what the gospel does. The poorest brother and sister on earth can boast and glory that they are infinitely wealthy and rich in Jesus Christ. But then we move, hallelujah is right, bro. And then number two though is this, okay? Number two is let the rich boast in their humiliation. Very interesting. Okay, so look at verse 10. And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So again, I want to put verse 10 up. I want the NIV and the NLT to be there for you so you can see, just comparing again, different translations, kind of flushing out the meaning. NIV says, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, interesting, since they will pass away like a wild flower. New Living Translation says, and those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them they will fade away like a little flower in the field. Again, very, very interesting. So some commentators, they suggest that the rich person here in verse 10 is an unbeliever, someone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, unsaved. And the reason they say that is the command to boast, they say in verse 10, is ironic. It's not to be taken literally. They also say that the word brother is not attached to the rich person here. However, many, many, many other commentators, a strong pushback, and we're on that page as well, strong pushback would be, there's no sense of irony in the original Greek when it comes here to the poor as compared to the rich. Furthermore, the command to boast then would change its meaning from verse nine and verse 10. We'd say that's, that's not what's happening in the original. Boast in verse nine means the same as boast in verse 10. And the word brother here contextually attaches to the rich here as well from verse nine to verse 10. So all that to say this, we believe what's happening in verses 10 and 11 and verse nine. These are strong exhortations to the poor and wealthy believer in Jesus Christ. Speaking to the believers in the church, both the poor and the rich. So let's make sense of this then, okay? So the command here, let the rich boast glory in their humiliation. That's just strange, isn't it? You're like, it seems so counterintuitive. Why would the rich boast in their humiliation? The rich Christian has great reason to boast in their humiliation. Why? As Doug Moo said this, he says, because, listen carefully, the temporal world is an undependable prop. That is why. Why would the rich boast in that which is an undependable prop? Rather, the rich are to boast in the true treasure only found in Jesus Christ. So this is why the Bible gives a plethora of warnings to not place your hope in the riches on this earth. So many places the Bible warns against riches on earth that steals our hearts and distracts our souls from what actually matters in life. So however exalted in our world, or our world especially, however exalted the rich may appear in this world, James tells us, say, God sees it very differently. God sees it very differently. The ultimate use of resources 
that God has entrusted to wealthy believers is to steward their resources towards the kingdom of God. What we're learning here too in this text, the rich believer, the rich brother or sister has an unusual responsibility before God for generosity towards the kingdom of God. I'll say that again. The rich brother or sister in Christ has been given an unusual responsibility to steward the resources entrusted to them from God towards the kingdom of God. And this makes so much sense, right? Because as Jesus explains, where your treasure is, there will be your heart also, right? If you want to find your heart, find out what you treasure. Every single time, our heart is connected to that which we treasure in this life. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart. So God so often entrusts physical resources here on earth to hearts that are in love with him, not hearts in love with the stuff, again, in this world. So the wealthy, rich believer, and by the way, just just contextually and, and what's important to say, relatively speaking, Basically, every single person in this room right now is exceedingly wealthy compared to history and the rest of this world. So before we start, you know, thinking of the people who have tens of millions and billions or whatever it is, just, just don't, don't do that so quick. All of us, almost, almost all of us in here, relatively speaking, should be classified in the area of wealthy brothers and sisters who have a responsibility of that which has been entrusted to them. And this is also why what happens is God will often entrust the most to those who will use it the best. Not always, but often. God is able to entrust brothers and sisters in Christ with multiplying resources because they are such faithful stewards to the kingdom of God and their grip is not on the wealth, their grip is on the kingdom and their hands are freed from the wealth and God can use them to flow through them his resources to bless so many others. You see the mature, rich brother and sister in Christ, they are not containers of money, they are conduits of God's money. And that's a huge indicator that God is using someone. Again, they're not containers. They don't hoard it. They are conduits for which God can flow through to bless, again, the stewardship of his kingdom. Very, very important day of wisdom here right now. And the wisdom, it continues. Notice too, like, um, like the massive call for wisdom in our context about how we handle wealth and of course, um, all throughout scripture. I mean, I could put up 250 verses here on money. I, honestly, 250 verses easy from God's word. Here's just a couple, okay? Look what Jesus says in Mark 8. It is wisdom, 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 wisdom. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? This is Jesus talking. That's, that's a very, very wise thing to say. Think of the billionaires in our day. So you got billions. Yeah, but in the end, you stand before Jesus Christ and your net worth goes to zero and your billions equal zero. 
at that point, the only thing you'll be wishing is that your soul was worth something in Jesus Christ by grace through faith. Most of our world, though, is seeking to profit and to gain the whole world. Wisdom says, why would I do that if I'm gonna forfeit my soul? It's very, very important time for us to stop and say, what am I doing with my life and why am I doing it? There's another verse. And Jesus says in Luke 12, so this is the parable of the bigger barns. The guy gets really rich and he builds bigger barns to store his stuff elsewhere. He's like, oh, I have ample goods. I'm gonna build bigger barns and put stuff in there. And then I'm gonna relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And God says to him, you're a fool. Not my words, what God says. He's like, you fool, what are you doing? You build the bigger barns, you have all the stuff. This night your soul's required of you. What's gonna happen to all your stuff? All of a sudden your, your life is demanded. This is your last day. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? And listen to this point. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is massive wisdom. Massive wisdom. By the way, just in recent days, I noticed there's a, a several new big storage container buildings going up, like four floors right by the highway. Maybe you've seen those too. And I'm just like, I think about that and I always remember that. It's amazing the world that we live in. We have so much stuff. We pay to rent spaces to place our garbage in. Like, think about that. We pay to rent space to put more stuff in, more stuff that we never see, touch, or need, and then the end, as a friend told me from last service, it just ends up becoming garbage anyways. Wisdom, 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 and all these people, these storage containers and units, but in the end, fool, this night your soul's required of you. Whose will they be? And they end up on some kind of reality TV show where people auction off a container unit. Right? It's a call for wisdom. What are we living for? One more verse. Again, these are so pertinent. These are, these are, these are three of like dozens and dozens that I could come up with. First Timothy 6. As for the rich, rich believer, in this present age, charge them not to be proud or haughty of their riches, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty, here today, gone tomorrow, of riches, but set their hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Notice, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Why? Then you store up treasure for themselves as a good foundation, heaven, heavenly foundation for the future so that, this is so key, so that, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life as opposed to taking hold of that which is not truly life, the things of the world. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. How are we doing today? Are we living according to the wisdom of God or are we living according to the wisdom of the world? What is my ambition? What are my aspirations? What are my ultimate goals? What drives my heart? What am I motivated by? What am I longing to do? What am I longing to? All these questions begin to answer and kind of put a laser beam of Holy Spirit application upon our lives and hearts of where we actually find ourselves. So just like the poor believer, the rich believer must apply the gospel powerfully to their lives on a daily basis, right? The rich brother or sister must remember their only lasting security is Jesus Christ, 
Every day, the rich brother and sister, they must rehearse their identity as Christ, their inheritance, their only lasting inheritance is Christ, and they must convince themselves on a daily basis everything else will fade away. That's the power of the gospel. See, the power of the gospel says... I can go bankrupt here on earth and lose millions or more, but in Christ, I lose nothing. I have every treasure I could ever want because I've been given everlasting life. So that is why in the 2008 economic crisis, you have big time executives who lost their fortunes in the crash, jumping out of buildings to their death because they lost everything and because they put their trust in the world's riches, they did lose everything and so they have no more reason to live. See, for the true believer in Jesus Christ, that'll never happen because you can lose everything on earth but have everything in Christ. And there's no reason to fear because Christ is your ultimate treasure. We sang the song last weekend, Be Thou My Vision, love this verse. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Why? Why do I not need riches or the praise of man? Because you, God, are my inheritance now and forever. Now and always. You and you only. You're first in my heart. High King of heaven, King of glory, my treasure, you are. This is a powerful way to live. I don't need riches. I need Jesus. I need the riches found in Jesus Christ and the freedom that it brings to let go of all the pursuits around us and all the idolatry and all the greed and all the craziness and to take hold of Jesus Christ who is the answer of life, the giver of life and the one who saves us from our sins. So if you look again at verses 10 and 11, now the illustration comes. So let the rich boast in his humiliation. Why? Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. The sun rises with his scorching heat, withers the grass, flower falls, beauty perishes. Right? Here's the point. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Okay, so more, more, more wisdom here. So in Israel, right? In Israel, when the rains came, beautiful flowers would suddenly spring up. That's what James is referring to here. Isaiah says the same thing. Rains come, beautiful flowers in the desert, they spring up, right, look really pretty, but as soon as the flowers spring up, as quickly as they come, they go because the sun scorches that flower, the wind beats against it, and all of a sudden, the grass falls, the flower falls, the beauty perishes, it's gone just like that. So the point of wisdom is here, hey, for those who have a lot of wealth in this world, be very, very, very wise because as quickly as you came, you will go. You will fade away. And by the way, fade away clearly denotes death here. That's what that means. As quickly as you've come, you will fade away. You will perish from this earth. See, so the wisdom given to the rich, be very, very wise, because your life could go at any moment. And even if you last 70, 80 years, it's still here and gone so quickly. And notice verse 11, it says, he will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Isn't that interesting? Fade away in the midst of trying to pursue or achieve the things um, of the earth. So this likely refers to the profit-motivated business trip where the believer is suddenly taken from this earth. That's really helpful, eh? So you have, you know, all the business represented in this room right now. 
Just think of all the different business people, business types, and there's so many people like, so the Bible's telling us, listen, listen, be very, very wise because as you seek to accumulate and seek to, you know, profit in business and do things that aren't bad, but again, if your heart's worshiping it, it's bad, but, you know, but you're moving along, just be very, very aware. Like one day, just like that, you could be gone. In the midst of your business trip, in the midst of your seeking profit, and then all of a sudden, gone, just like that. And then what matters? At the moment you're gone, then what? All of a sudden, the business means nothing. All of a sudden, the pursuits mean nothing. See, that's wisdom again. It's wisdom again. And this is what the Holy Spirit's really going for today. You see, you gotta bolst in your, humili- in your humiliation, bolst in the treasure of Jesus Christ, because that will never, ever be taken from you, ever. But we will fade away. We will die in the midst of our pursuits. And again, just, just make sure, like, I mean, read the papers, just look around, hear the story. So many people striving to accumulate and then all of a sudden their lives are cut short. And then what? And then eternity. All that for what? All that to stand before God and say, I had a bunch of wealth, which now equals nothing to you. And the only thing that matters is where I stand again before Jesus Christ. Like wisdom, 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 wisdom. God decides the number of our days. You know, in James 4, James tells us, you are a mist who appears for a little while and then vanishes. A mist, you know, a mist that comes and just like a puff of smoke and then just vanishes in the air. That's how we're described as human beings. Here one day and gone the next. So what's our greatest takeaway from our passage today? Our greatest takeaway is this. The only thing that matters is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only thing that matters is our life in Christ. To those who are poor, the command for you is boast in Jesus Christ. One day soon, your full inheritance will be realized in him. One day soon, the Bible says, you will be walking on streets paved with gold. One day soon, you will be in perfection with Jesus Christ. To those who are poor, get ready because your day is coming soon. Get ready. Get ready, those who are, who are earthly poor. Your day is coming soon. Live as though Christ is coming. Be ready. To those who are rich, your command is to boast in Jesus Christ. Your command is to realize that all temporal wealth will in the end equal nothing. To those who are rich in Christ, your command is rejoice in your humiliation. Rejoice that your silver and gold will perish. Rejoice that true riches are only found in Christ. Get ready, get ready. Those who are rich in Christ or rich believers, get ready. Your day is coming soon. He will return and we'll have to give an account of what we use that has been entrusted to us. Be ready, be ready. See the the power of living for Jesus Christ. I remember the day when I was just about to graduate uh, graduate university and at that point I was studying business and I remember like in the business school that I was a part of, like all, all the exhortations were get into good business, make money and just, you know, accumulate, accumulate, just get wealthy, 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 try to get some position of prominence. That's really everything that was coming down that pipe. I got saved in Jesus Christ. I remember coming up against Luke 12, where Jesus says, take care, watch your heart, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. And as someone who was just immersed in the philosophy of the world and the system of greed and everything's about trying to pursue again and climb the ladder and get wealth, when I heard Jesus say, watch your heart for one's life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions, like I literally started to jump for joy because the freedom, I mean, everything I've been taught is wrong. It doesn't matter what I have. 
It doesn't matter what I own. As long as I have Jesus Christ, there's nothing else that I, that, that is such a powerful way to live. And it's exactly how Jesus Christ wants his children to live. It's exactly what he says to us today. So what does today really come down to? What is, what is James ultimately getting at? He's getting at identity. What is your identity? Is your identity in the possessions you own? Is your identity in the bank account you have? Is your identity in the stuff that you've accumulated? Here's what Paul Tripp says about this issue of identity and wealth. He says, there's no better indicator of the identity you have assigned to yourself than the way you use money. Why does one person proudly throw money around? Why does another person use her money to buy all the cultural markers of success? Why is that neighbor of yours so proudly vocal about his charity? Why has yet another person never been able to stay out of debt? Why does that couple quietly give away such a big portion of their income? Why is your friend so gripped with money fears? Why does she struggle with envy and embarrassment whenever she is around her wealthy friends? Why does he try to hide the fact that he grew up in poverty? Why did Jesus talk about this topic more than any other? Why is money such a big deal? Why are some of us never satisfied even though we have so much money? And why are some of us content with so little? The answer to all these questions is identity. It's identity. When your identity is in Jesus Christ, whether you are rich or poor, you will boast at the end that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. When your identity is Jesus Christ, you will boast that your treasure is Jesus and will never be taken from you. When your identity is Christ, you will revel in the truth of James chapter one, verse 12. Look, James one, verse 12. We end with this. Blessed is the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, listen, he or she will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love them. At the end of the day, the only thing we want is the crown of life which is only given by grace through faith, by believing in Jesus Christ. Man, what a day of wisdom, huh? I mean, God's word just, the Holy Spirit's poking the bear, eh? I mean, for a lot of us, this is our idol. He's poking, he's poking. He loves us enough to do so. How will we respond? We respond by saying, my wealth is in the cross. Let's pray, church, let's pray. Yes, Lord, I do pray as you do poke the bear, Lord. As you do come at our hearts today, it is right, it is good, it is loving, it is needed in the world that we live. I pray you will set apart so many in this church to not grip upon the things of the earth, but to grip tight to the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord, I trust you how you are working and moving. I trust you how you are seeking to change. And I pray you will find in each of us today a soft heart, not, not resisting, not rebelling, but I pray open, moldable, pliable, and willing. Oh Lord, may it be so. And thank you for your words. It's just truly amazing. And I pray you'll help us to respond with such a, a wonderful song of response today. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. We can stand and sing together.